Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I bring you greetings from the Church of Sweden. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sets us free to serve our neighbor, remembering that neighbors may be close or far away, that a neighbor may be a person who causes trouble, or an ecosystem that has fallen into the hands of robbers. On a more personal note, I can't resist telling you how much I enjoy being back in the atmosphere of a seminary, even if it's for a very short while. My years as a professor and part of a community of teaching and learning have challenged and nourished me for years to come. Life in a community of teaching and learning can be amazing. Encounters you hadn't dreamt of. Perspectives you did not even know existed. Challenges you welcome and challenges you dread. Liturgies that strengthen you in what you already think and believe, and liturgies that pull you out of your comfort zones. Grades that you think adequately reflect the level of your ambitions, and grades that disappoint you or surprise you. Classmates and colleagues that you relate easily to, and classmates who may, who may remain other for you. Wherever we live and whatever we do, we are touched by the ambiguities and ambivalences of life. And when Jesus prayed with the words we heard in today's Gospel reading, there was a lot of ambiguity in the air. Directly after these strong words about oneness in John 17, betrayal and division take place, and Jesus is sentenced to death. And Jesus prays that they may be one as we are one, so that they may be one. Even after 2,000 years, Jesus has not got what he prayed for. Conflicts between baptized people continue to get in the way for a credible Christian witness to the God of love. And just recently, we have started to wonder what the split between Moscow and Constantinople will mean for our Orthodox brothers and sisters, and for the whole body of Christ. Although even the opposite happens, five decades of dialogue between Lutherans and Catholics have shown results. With the 2013 document 
from conflict to communion, for the first time since the 16th century, we have a shared account of Reformation history, as well as shared commitments for the future. The energy of the joint commemoration of 500 years of Reformation in Lund and Malmö, Sweden, two years ago, in the presence of the leadership of the Lutheran World Federation and of Pope Francis, created an energy that has radiated throughout the world well beyond Lutheran and Catholic circles. What in 2017 could have become a manifestation of 500 years of division became a celebration of our common mission instead, a celebration of our Lord Jesus Christ. The joint declaration on the doctrine of justification, originally signed by Catholics and Lutherans in Augsburg, Germany in 1999, has subsequently also been affirmed by the World Methodist Council in 2006, the World Communion of Reformed Churches in 2017, as well as the Anglican Communion also last year. So koinonia, communion, is happening, and it is learning by doing in response to the needs of the words. I think that's a nice definition of communion, learning by doing in response to the needs of the world. And we have been learning, sometimes the hard way, that it is about sharing the richness of traditions rather than building fences around one's own turf. That it is about empowerment rather than about power. That it is about celebrating unity in the midst of existing diversity. And Jesus prays so that the world may believe. And what a world it is. Right now, it seems to me that the world is sort of drunk. Because in all too many countries, people are sipping from a cocktail made of five dangerous ingredients, five poisonous peas. Polarization, populism, protectionism, post-truth, and patriarchy. And this poison affects the world as well as the church. Polarization tears apart what should belong together and work together. Populism pits people and so-called elites against each other. Protectionism puts one's own country, one's own people, one's own interest first at the expense of the common good. And post-truth is the contempt of truth that disfigures the vital triad of the true, the good, and the beautiful, without which we cannot live. 
and patriarchy continues to deprive the world of the full flourishing of women and children. And in the end, it dehumanizes both women and men. Moreover, we are challenged by the spiritual poverty that otherwise well-to-do societies are facing. Secularization, such as in my own country, Sweden, leaves us with mixed feelings. On the one hand, secularization is a result of the success of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the values of freedom and dignity are so strong that they carry through all of society. Hence, when the world is challenging us to be braver in affirming human freedom and dignity, it is challenging us, the church, with the fruits of our own preaching, which is good. On the other hand, secularization has undermined the knowledge and practice of faith, leaving especially young people without access to the spiritual resources offered by the church. Thus, loneliness and um, the haunting feeling of never being fully accepted and the lack of courage to fully face life's ups and downs are threats to the existential health of whole generations. If there's nothing outside yourself that can feed your sense of being accepted no matter what, if you have to carry the whole burden of meaningfulness of your life all by yourself, then it is indeed difficult to live. People around the globe are realizing that the question of climate change may be the biggest question we ever have faced together as one humankind. And history is not without irony. Yesterday, sort of, postmodernism drew our attention to the demise of the real big narratives. And we saw many of them crumble down to fragments. And today, we face a narrative bigger than anyone before. In unprecedented ways, the narrative of climate change, <clears throat> in unprecedented ways, the narrative of climate change is binding all of humanity together. Binding us all together with the rest of creation so that they all may be one. Against the backdrop of climate change, this oneness becomes more radical than even Jesus may have been aware of when he prayed these words. We are one in our sending, and we are one in destiny with all creation. And Jesus prays, I sanctify myself 
so that they also may be sanctified in truth. If we are to be sanctified in truth, we will find our values and our ability to act put to the test. Responding to the facts we know today requires science, politics, business, culture, and faith. Everything that is an expression of human dignity to work together. Climate, and thus the future of the Earth, is about science and faith, about welfare and interdependence, about sin and reconciliation, about humans as created co-creators, about revisiting anthropocentric worldviews, and about hope. And it's about justice now and for our grandchildren and their grandchildren. Let's face it, there is no more going west, no more leaving the mess behind and moving on. Leaders of the world, at least a significant amount of leaders of the world, look to, are looking to religious leaders to take a stand and offer guidance. They do so because religions provide a cultural integrity, a spiritual depth, and a moral force, often lacking in purely secular approaches. And faith can generate a joy that may be hard to find elsewhere. Remember that Jesus in his prayer talks about joy becoming complete. Yes, changes of lifestyle will be needed. And yes, sacrifice will be needed. But who, if not people of faith, can be examples of joyful sacrifice? If material and intellectual choices are inspired by spiritual choices, we will find that the path to a climate smart and a climate just life is not just a tough one, but also a joyful one. And Jesus prays, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For this sending, in these days, we and the church at large need a theology of resilience, a theology of coexistence, and a theology of hope. Because with a theology of resilience, we will be able to make sense of the fights of women, men, and children for the health, the well-being, and the future of creation. We will be able again and again to draw God's mercy into this world with our words and with our actions, be it words of prayer and words of advocacy 
for human rights, equality, peace, justice, and reconciliation. Be it humanitarian help and support for development. With the theology of resilience, we will be able to confront the trends and powers that hamper our constructive engagement with the greatest challenges of our time. We will be able to confront polarization. We will be able to resist populism. We will be able to counteract protectionism. And we will be able to fight against post-truth. And we will be able to overcome patriarchy. With the theology of coexistence, we will be able to revisit some of the borders that are harmful to our working and living together. We will be able to foster more adequate views of nature, and we will listen to creation's groaning and longing for the revealing of the children of God, Romans 8. This will put us in a more effective position to address climate change in a holistic way. With a theology of coexistence, we will be more eager to hear the stories of those who are suffering and will be suffering from the degradation of their environments and livelihoods. And we will be better at listening to the voices of indigenous peoples. With the theology of hope, finally, there is reason to expect change. Think for a moment of the story in Matthew 15, 28 to 28, 21 to 28, the story of the Canaanite woman who asks Jesus for help for her sick daughter. And he, if you remember, turns her down, not once, but twice even comparing her to a dog who is unworthy to receive help. She persisted and made Jesus change his mind. This changed Jesus' sense of his own mission, and hence the mission of the whole church. And so, if one woman could change the mind of Jesus, change of minds Metanoia must still be possible, both of our own minds and those of others. With the theology of hope, we will be able to counter narratives of hate and fear with narratives of love and hope. The world is crying out for credible words of hope because Behind so much of the fear that we are seeing daily, there is a cry for hope, for credible hope. So the world is crying out for credible words of hope and for the works of love that the gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to carry out, together with people of goodwill from many traditions. Let us listen carefully to the voice of hope. Don't we hear Jesus praying? Don't we feel the empowering urge of these words? As you, Father, are in me, 
and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Where this mystery of love is lived and recognized, there will be life. It may indeed include sacrifice and loss. We may time and again fail to be one with each other. And yet, nothing of that can destroy the oneness in God that Jesus has given us. Things can get tough, but God is always greater than our best achievements and our worst mistakes and failings. So faith, love, and hope will prevail. May God bless us all so that we can trust boldly and live our sending faithfully. Amen. <laughs>